two weeks ago in this program, I was telling the tale of travel and got as far as the island nation of Vanuatu. Vanuatu doesn't make the international news all that often, but there was one item here that, uh, that in lieu of talking about my trip to it, which I'll defer to next week, I think I will cite. This one comes from Mental Floss magazine. I guess I'll just quote from it. Said Mental Floss, like the Joe Biden of England, Prince Philip, a.k.a. Prince Charles's dad, has trouble sticking to the script. He once asked a group of Aborigines whether they still throw spears at one another. He once joked to British students traveling abroad that staying in China too long could lead to slitty eyes. Notes the magazine, clearly, cultural sensitivity isn't his fort. But the people of the Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu don't care about any of that. In fact, they worship him as a god and have based a religion upon him. Followers of the Prince Philip movement, which started in the 1960s, believe that the prince was born to fulfill an ancient prophecy that the son of an ancient mountain spirit would one day take the form of a pale-skinned man, travel abroad, marry a powerful lady, and eventually return to the island. When villagers saw the prince's portrait, they felt the spirit in it. And when he visited Vanuatu in 1974, they were convinced. Since then, the community has corresponded with Buckingham Palace and even sent Philip a nal-nal, a traditional club for killing pigs as a token of its appreciation. In return, the prince sent back a portrait in which he's holding the gift. Today, the tribe has three prized photos that it re- that uses as reminders of Philip's greatness. One member of the tribe told the Daily Telegraph, we can't see him, but sometimes we hear his voice. Well, maybe. Another added, we believe England is a very special place. You know, that that is hard to argue with. But Vanuatu is a, a curiosity in that I believe the cargo cults of World War II are still active there. In addition to Prince Philip, they believe a man named John Frum is going to come back, as the GIs did in World War II, bringing jeeps and beer and, well, all kinds of cool stuff. And yes, we do shudder to think that the bringing of <laughs> things like firearms, cars, and alcohol could be the fulfillment of religious prophecy, but, uh, you know, in the end, it probably isn't any weirder than some of the stuff we accept in Western religions. I did read many years back that as part of these cargo cults, they would set up uh, basically imitation radio stations, such as the Army Air Corps had in World War II, where they would direct planes to come in and land. Since the planes brought in the cargo, the, uh, the Vanuatans have set up little fake radio booths to religiously recreate the time during which, uh, you know, radio operators directed uh, aircraft in. But I read that a long time ago, and I'm not really sure it's true, so obviously more homework must be done by the host of this program before he talks about it again, which I will try to do. But hey, the beauty about a show like this is that you, dear listener, at least some of you out there, probably know a great deal about this topic. And by all means, don't hesitate to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. I want to thank all of you who send material in. Not all of it makes the air, but all of it's appreciated. And I guess all of it does in some way shape what we talk about. It does give us some idea what you find interesting, dear listener. Like Jeff's piece on the controversy over the new UC logo, who forwarded us a rebuttal from the Vice President for External Relations at the University of California Office of the President, noting that the controversy has been fueled in large part by an unfortunate and false narrative which framed the matter as an either-or choice between a venerated UC seal and a newly designed monogram. Adding, while I believe that the 
design element in question would win wine acceptance over time, and it's also important to note that we listen to and respect what has been a significant negative response by students, alumni, and other members of our community. Which we would add, we too will respond to negative responses to this program if we ever get any. Jeff sent a little tagline to his piece, which was, sometimes I wonder, why is that Frisbee getting larger? Then it hits me. UC Vice President added in closing, my hope going forward is that the passion exhibited for the traditional seal can be redirected toward a broader advocacy for the University of California. Adding, for it is only with robust support from the citizens of this state that the university will be able to serve future generations of Californians as well as it has those of the past. You know, we've only got about 10 minutes left in the show, and I do think I probably should say a little more about travels, which took place last month, at least in regard going back to Vanuatu, the subject of kava, which we made allusion to but did not explain. So here's the deal. There's a tree that grows in the South Pacific, which, which if you dig up and take the roots from and grind them up, you can find yourself in possession once you squeeze the grindings of, um, well, a pretty interesting drug. It's a mild drug. It's relaxing in its effect. It's somewhat analogous to alcohol. And it is enormously popular. They drink it in Fiji, they drink it in Samoa, they drink it in Tonga, they certainly drink it in Vanuatu. Vanuatu has got a reputation for producing the strongest and best stuff. But you can find it in Hawaii, you can even find it in, uh, in health food stores here in America. Having heard about it a decade ago, I have done some experimentation. I mean that, uh, well, it is, an, it is a good sedative for helping someone with insomnia. Over the years, I recommended that many patients have tried it, and, and, and many of them come back to tell me that the experiment was a success. Now, many years ago on this program, we reported about uh, a legal case in the Bay Area where some guy, I forget, where a Tongan or a Samoan had drunk a lot of kava to the point where he was clearly intoxicated and weaving down Highway 101. Upon being arrested for driving under the influence, which God knows he certainly was, his attorney argued that he was actually taking part in a religious ceremony. And this arrest potentially constituted religious discrimination. And apparently that lame-brained argument, apparently that lame-brained argument succeeded well enough to get the guy off. And we do hasten to add, if you must drink copious amounts of kava, please don't drive afterwards. But drinking a little bit of it, that's a different story. That's like, you know, having some eggnog. Well, if the eggnog tasted really vile and was spiked with a bit of brandy. But, uh... On my island tour around the island of Afate, which is where the capital of Port Vila for the, uh, the nation of Vanuatu is located, I was impressed by the beautiful scenery. And in fact, we will refer you to uh, uh, a website in the future where you can see some of those pictures. But my guide informed me that, oh my goodness, yes, there's kava bars. They were called kava bars everywhere. They look more like lean-tos. They look like they, they aspired one day to be a Mexican palapa. But I guess it's felt that the, the ambience isn't all that important when you're quaffing kava. I didn't try any in Fiji, but the Fijians told me, oh, when you go to Vanuatu, that's, that's where the kava, that's where the strong stuff is. On my tour of the island, a couple of the, uh, the gals with me, a couple of Australians, noted that their hotel on Thursday nights had a demonstration of kava. And on my last night uh, in Vanuatu, guess what? It was Thursday. So I hot-footed over there to see what they could show me. And there was an island... Uh, king or royalty of some sort dressed in traditional garb 
who was showing how these various shavings were squeezed, water was added, and the uh, <laughs> terrible tasting stuff that resulted. Although I must say, the fresh stuff is not too bad. But uh, the four Australians that were there and myself drank a bit. But uh, the, the four gringos that were there, two Australians, a South African, and uh, this Yank, drank a bit and found the effects to be rather pleasant. Pleasant and, and mild. And we'll hopefully have more to say about that subject as well in, in the future. And you know, with the five minutes we got left, we probably should uh, maybe do some items from the end-of-year quiz from the Week magazine, which we've done before, and which we've done before, and that's always fun. Although I do want to note that um, for those of you following the college bowl schedule, well, we, we just, we hope you get a life, actually. We frankly can't resist poking fun at the usual inane array of bowls that takes place to demonstrate our national disgrace of a system wherein people who shouldn't be in college are alleged to be college students in order to play college football. And then if your team stumbles to, like, a 6-6 six and six record, you might show up in the Belk Bowl, as did Duke, 6-6, six and six. or the Armed Forces Bowl with a 6-6 six and six record, like, like Rice did. And why is Rice in the Armed Forces Bowl? Then there's Michigan State, 6-6, six six, playing in the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. Purdue, 6-6, six six, playing in the Heart of Dallas Bowl. I think one of my personal favorites, Minnesota, 6-6, six six, in the Meineke Car Care Bowl. Actually, that may be a tie with Central Michigan, 6-6, six six, playing in the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl. Wouldn't feel so bad about that if the pizza were put in quotation marks. But good God, what other bowls have we mentioned? The famous Idaho Potato Bowl, the Beef O'Brady's Bowl. Oh, did I mention the Russell Athletic Bowl? Virginia Tech's in that at 6-6. Six and six. The Chick-fil-A Bowl. <laughs> at least they got good teams. Clemson 10-2 and, and LSU 10-2. And, and on January 6th, the GoDaddy.com Bowl. We've said it before. We'll say it again. This whole thing is a national disgrace. Ms. McMillan is looking forward to the National Disgrace Bowl. All right, let's do just a few quiz items. Let's do a few quiz items for fun. We often quote from the week in our quote of the day sections, and the week asks at the end of the year, who said this? The choices were Thomas Edison, Gloria Steinem, Shirley MacLaine, Paul Coelho, and Robert Louis Stevenson. Here's one we used. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. And yes, you're correct, Mr. McMillan, that was Gloria Steinem. But it's useless to hold a person to anything he says while he's in love, drunk, or running for office. Yes, we have to give Shirley MacLaine credit for that one. And who said the only, the only one difference between a long life and a good dinner is that in the dinner, the sweets come last. That was that wag, Robert Louis Stevenson. How about this fill-in-the-blank? Michigan Democratic State Representative Lisa Brown was banned from speaking on the House floor last June, done so by indignant male Republicans, for uttering what word during a debate on abortion? Well, apparently she uttered that horrible word, vagina, which apparently left strong men fainting in the aisles. On the other hand, during her successful Senate campaign in Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren got nicknamed Focahontas, after it emerged that she had once claimed Native American ancestry. The question is, which tribe did Warren claim that a great, great, great-grandmother came from? And the answer would be 
Cherokee. All right, Americans lost about $30 billion worth of blank last year. What were they? Apparently, cell phones. And here's one that surprises me a bit. A University of Pennsylvania study found that men who have this characteristic are perceived as being more dominant and stronger and possessing more leadership abilities. What trait would that be? Well, apparently that would be the totally bald head. Yes, in this show we have often admired the apparent natural leadership abilities of Uncle Fester. Note to Larry David, shave what hair you have left. I guess we'll have to close with the, it must be true, I read it in the tabloids section from the week. I guess we missed this one first time through. But apparently at some point last year, an Oregon man decided to sleep off a night of heavy drinking by crawling into a dumpster. He was still asleep when the dumpster was emptied into a garbage truck. Justin Gilpatrick, age 27, then awoke and began screaming when the truck started compacting the load of trash inside. Hearing the screams, the truck driver turned the compactor off just in time. Said Justin Kilpatrick, I've not had a drink in years, and the one time I do, this is what happens. He then vowed, I will never drink again. And then on that note, let's call it a year. And although, speaking for Mr. McMillan and I, we are not going to vow to never drink again this year, we do feel that we can assure you that if we do imbibe, we will not subsequently crawl into a dumpster to sleep it off. So don't worry about that. All right, that about wraps up Radio Parallax for 2012. This year's programs were produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett, and we'll be back next year with, well, to do it all again. The whole shooting match, top to bottom. We'll see you then. 